Greetings, mortals, and uh, welcome to another episode of what we're calling a podcast, but evil. Uh, I'm Doug Leaf. I'm Dan Oster. And this week's topic is The Thing, parentheses, from another world, close parentheses. Uh, yeah, it's not just like a thing, lowercase t. Yeah. This is the thing. And not the one from the Adams Family. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, well, that'll be another one. We'll that'll be a short that. episode. On, he's not evil, even. He's like just kind of cute, right? He's just a little severed hand. He, I feel like he's mischievous. Do we ever find out like the origin of the thing, like, or is it that's just left unsaid that they have a disembodied hand? Are we, ta- are we still talking about Adam's family? Yeah, like there's there's not like a somewhere there's a guy with like who's missing a hand going. I wonder what happened to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're now officially starting this podcast talking about thing from Adam's family. Well, I do know mm-hmm. in the movie they they I mean it used to be a pretty simple effect. It was just a guy's hand coming out of a box. <laughs> but then when they did the movie in the nineties, you know, they showed that he could run around and actually be independent. Yeah. So uh I but we are, yeah, we're here to talk about the thing from another world. So a couple of uh just to introduce what it is, uh the vital stats. It is uh it was cr- an alien from outer space. It is created um, by an author named John W. Campbell in his 1938 novella, Who Goes There? Uh, Who Goes There? I see, I know that. Which, uh, well, I found out doing a little research for this that Who Goes There was actually the final version of the story. He had started off with a, a novel length, tr- uh, version of it called Frozen Hell, which is not as, <laughs> not as evocative. Um, and, uh, it was later made into, uh, Two and I'll call it two and a half adaptations. Uh, 1951's The Thing from Another World, which is pretty loosely inspired by this story. It doesn't hew to the book uh, in much uh, of the detail, except that there is an alien uh, who is uh, thawed out in an Antarctic. They always did that in the 50s. You know, they did that with War of the Worlds, too. They're like, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Good title. We're going to change everything else. <laughs> right. Eh, there's some Martians. We're going to make it about the Cold War. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we've got The Thing from Another World, 1951, uh, directed by Christian Nyby, uh, the one we're going to be talking about mostly today, which is The Thing, uh, uh, John Carpenter's version from 1982. Uh, and I said to it. The a- only version, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so you're not as big on The Thing, 2011 version, which is... N- which is not its own adaptation. It is a prequel. Oh, this was that sequel. I actually didn't even bother with it. It is a yeah. Did you see it? I did not see it. It is a prequel to the John Carpenter That's one. That's right. It's a it's a prequel. Yeah. And uh, from what I could tell, I watched like a clip uh, from one scene uh, on YouTube about forty five minutes ago. That's the level of research we're doing. Um, I did not, so I didn't watch the whole thing. But everything I can tell from it is it is exactly the same movie. Uh, in almost every respect that the John well, Carpenter guess, one is, except we'll it's not good. If we have time. <laughs> yeah. But uh, as I have often said, and, and well, often said, we've done one other podcast, but I'm here I'm here just to be cute. So like I, I've done even less research than you. And yet I have amazing retention. And I knew I knew that 1938 book. I knew who goes there. Uh, uh, so I know some things. But did you- and I feel like my my high school self was really into the was into John Carpenter in general mm-hmm. and I feel like I got a pretty good grasp on this uh, movie just on my own so I feel like I, I feel like I'll I'll be able to contribute yeah I, I came to this movie a little later uh, the John Carpenter one I, I think I had seen the 1951 movie at some point in you know as a kid 
Um, but I, this to me, like, is the quintessential John Carpenter movie, which was interesting because it was reviled when it originally came out. It was, you know, mm. well, it is, it is a uh, sterling example of body horror. It and might it be the best one example. Of the grosser movies. Yeah, it is probably the the er example of body horror. I can only think of one or two movies that even come close to the body horror in this. I'm thinking maybe The Fly is probably its closest competitor. Um, Reanimator, the, yeah, I feel like has Scanners, some, some stuff. Anything that was like Lovecraft. It's got kind of a Lovecraft. I just, I didn't even make this connection until now. It's got kind of a Lovecraftian vibe. Oh, it's got a lot of Lovecraft um, DNA, and at least, yeah, the, at least, which those, is funny because know. Lovecraft had nothing to do with it. But um, <laughs> of course, he never really has much to do with his the adaptations of his work. Yeah, I tried to look. <laughs> I was trying yeah. to find out when I was doing the research to see if Joseph Campbell was inspired by him for the original novella. Um, because the things that are, lo- is it, it's Joseph Campbell. That's I'm sorry, John. No, not uh, not the <laughs> not the hero of a thousand faces guy. Uh, yes. this, the hero's journey. It always involves Wolford Brimley's head as a <laughs> as a kind of a spider creature. He's, that's <laughs> the central part of the hero's journey. This is kind of the villain with a thousand faces. Um, no, uh, John John Campbell, uh, John W. Campbell, John Campbell. And, Get uh, it right. Yeah, and I was trying to figure out if he was inspired by Lovecraft because the the things about the John Carpenter movie that are Lovecraftian are things that are from the original novel. Interesting. But I couldn't find a direct connection other than that John W. Campbell, like H.P. Lovecraft as a person, was just a giant pile of shit. (laughs) Oh, really? He's an awful person, yeah. I found out, so he he was, um, like, he's pretty racist, uh, as was Lovecraft. (laughs) Don't know, don't, but it's a little hard to tell how racist he really was. Is it going to be one of those things when you find out that, like, the thing is really just, like, a metaphor for, like... Miscegenation? Race. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it was that. But I I didn't read any of the uh, novella, but... The interesting thing about trying to figure out what a piece of shit he was is that he definitely was, but it's a little hard to tell because uh, it was the 30s. Well, it was the 30s, <laughs> but also pieces wh- of shit were everywhere. <laughs> de rigueur um, for the depression. No, <laughs> um, he uh, he liked being contrarian, like he got a kick out of that. So, oh God, he's like, one of those guys. He's yeah. He, this guy would be like a Ben Shapiro today. Like he's just kind of that yeah, guy. Yeah, he's like that guy that got. Uh, he was on SNL for a half a second and then got fired, and he was like, "I push boundaries." He's yes, like that. exactly that guy. It's like my novel pushes boundaries, bro. If you can't handle it, you know, sorry. Yeah, he he got. Um, so again, that's why you have to sort of go like, well, he did say some pretty awful things, but it's a little hard to tell how much of it is he believes it and how much of it is just I'm trying to be oh, out. He was trolling. He's trolling. He, was a troll he is a troll. Was even social media. And, like, this guy would be an anti-vaxxer because he has a, he had a strong interest in, like, pseudoscience that, like, repel, mm-hmm. ultimately, like, alienated him from a lot of his sci-fi author contemporaries to the point where he got really cr- wow. he got really critical of like uh, government regulation of food and drugs like he thought that like trying to clamp down on quackery was bad because it would prevent p- potential cures he, he was re- immensely pro child labor uh well uh- <laughs> Uh, I, I won't say he's pro-child labor, but like, for example, in this, like, his crusade against, like, re- regulation of food and drugs, like, he was against the banning of thalidomide. And it's like, this is a drug that causes pregnant women to give birth to, like, well, severe birth know. defects. Okay, so um, uh, the quick primer. The- I just want to say right now, I want I move that this podcast 
uh, be about Joe Campbell as a villain. I think we should just make him the top. We're getting canceled in our second episode. This is bad. Um, uh, sorry. Yes, the, it sound like you want. Oh, to I was going to talk about the thing itself, which is the, the yes. We need well. Look, we need to lay it down. That's the whole promise of this podcast. We talk about the villain. So right. the thing. How would you describe what it is other than just an, an alien shapeshifter? Because there's a little more to it than well, that. Well, I think we uh, last time we. Uh, We've talked about Dracula. Yeah. I assume we're airing these in order, but I don't know. Uh, that's the plan. Uh, at some point, we talked about Dracula. We did. And I will note, by the way, Doug, a, a glaring omission, and and I'd like to issue an apology to our listeners. Uh, or to Dracula. We did not address Count Chocula in that episode. We did. Well, I, we, we talked about breakfast cereal. We mentioned it obliquely, but we did not officially declare him to have a breakfast cereal. We just okay. we just said there okay. was a breakfast cereal. We didn't say Count Chocula. I, I would have liked to have gotten into it because I, I my question is whether or not Count Chocula actually feeds on people or if he's just as <laughs> cereal as his, his entire diet. I, but, he, uh, you never see him eat it, do you? He's just he's just there to sell oh, it. Oh, right. Good point. He's just this is just how he gets point. in your head. Okay, moving on. The, the thing. Uh, this is how he makes a buck. He mm-hmm. but he doesn't. Then he goes out and, and murders people. Mm-hmm. The thing. How would I define the thing? Well, I think the thing about the thing. Its main. Uh, what makes it unique is its ability to replicate uh, other uh, creatures. I mean, not just humans. Uh, obviously, it could be sled dogs, as we as we know. Um, mm-hmm. But it can it can replicate, and it can also take the the sort of the memories of what it replicates, so it can act like Doug. Uh, but it's not Doug. Yeah, I, and, and I uh, thought that was. I think that's that's kind of it's like a bo- it's it's not even quite a body snatcher thing. Although I guess there's an element of that it doesn't. I actually don't think in the movie it ever replicates someone who's also still walking around. So I don't know if killing you is like a key part of replicating you, but that's its deal. It it can it can change its shape and and act like somebody. So you never. It's all about paranoia. You never know who is the thing or if everyone's the thing except you you don't know yeah and what i like about this is that they are hell you don't even know if you're a thing you might be a thing you don't even know yeah they they aren't very um so when you're dealing with something supernatural like when we talked about with dracula dracula is all about all the different rules that apply to him and yeah. with the thing they you are only getting kind of glimpses as to how it operates like you know, it can replicate you, but like it has a certain amount of body mass. So does it? Can it like reproduce by like it can, can it, you know make an, you know they, they talk about it t- basically taking over the world if it were to escape from Antarctica. But right. I don't know that it can do that. Like we don't. There's nothing to confirm that. It might just they're be making, that uh, they're making an assumption. You're right. Maybe it's yeah. like limited by how much mass it has. Maybe it can only replicate. You know. A Wilford Bimley at a time, right? Or maybe uh, like two people. Like we don't know. We don't know if it has to. Like you said, <laughs> it, it, does it have to actually kill you to replicate you, or can it just kind of like? Or maybe watch it just you? wants to like you know make it in Hollywood. We don't know what it wants. We're making assumptions here. Yeah, but you see, normally based on some racist from the nineteen thirties. <laughs> see, I, I like that about this because I think you know usually you need all of the framework of the rules because when when you have a story and you have a bunch of rules that keeps the the author of the story from kind of cheating, you know, where it's like, oh, yeah. we introduce a new superpower, you know, 90% of the way into it's a, a sandbox movie. that they have to play. Yeah. And, and the audience's awareness of the rules allows the audience to kind of enjoy that bounding box and feel like they can maybe outsmart, you know, I, I can play along and try and outsmart this thing. Right. But here they use your, you know, kind of only partial awareness of those rules to increase the terror because you really, you know, you you're you just like the the um, denizens of this Antarctic 
um, science station are only making educated guesses as to what this thing is doing and how. Uh, and yeah, it's I re- shrouded in mystery, and of course, that is, like, like you said, that's what makes it scary. That's what makes the overarching emotion here paranoia. You don't, well, you don't have all the information, um, which is why I think an idea like a prequel is a terrible move because that's going to just explain it further and make it less scary, right? right. All you by, can by virtue of going back to the story, you're going to learn more, right? You know, I'm sure they, 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 I'm sure they established some rules in the prequel, but um, I realize that. Uh, we should probably talk a little bit about at least the the basic framework. Unlike Dracula, who has appeared in so many things, uh, the thing has only appeared a few times, and the story I think is pretty similar, except maybe for that 1951 movie. Uh, it might be worth it to give people just the basic uh, plot points here. I think that's which, a good uh, idea. Uh, yeah, just to give you a sense. So uh, uh, the novel and the and the John Carpenter movie are actually. Fairly similar plot-wise, which which was uh, surprising to me to discover. I would have thought that it would have deviated a bit more, but it's actually pretty close. Yeah, you know, it's an Antarctic research station. Uh, I'd say the movie is kind of notable for having an all-male cast. You don't see that very often. Yeah. Um, anyway, so there's this there's a uh, there's this research station. They happen upon uh, an alien spacecraft. Unbeknownst to them, it, there actually is uh, some kind of creature there that. Uh, gets back into their camp, I think, in the form of a dog, and, and it does this thing that we talked about. It, it replicates. It moves through the camp. Knocking off people one by one and replacing them uh, until the very end when we're left, and I love the ending of this, with Kurt... Spoiler alert. Yeah. You're talking about the ending. Right. Uh, it. That's a given for this podcast in general, but yeah. <laughs> we, you're left with Kurt Russell, our, our protagonist, who we know uh, is not the thing, and one other member of the uh, the crew who may or may the not inimitable be Keith David love Keith David, um, who, who may or may not be a, a thing at this point, but they have also um, completely obliterated their uh, the research station and any means of uh, yeah. leaving it. So their their plan is we're to die in the snow, but that the thing will at least freeze if not die with them thus saving humanity but there's yeah classic classic self-sacrifice now what's interesting about that ending too is you yeah you don't know you you, you assume kurt russell's not the thing because he's the protagonist but you don't know and you know it could be him could be keith david and they're sitting there staring at each other waiting to freeze and, you know, to death. it's and it's and it's but you know it's important though that like if if any of them if either one makes a, a wrong move you know, I guess I guess it's Kurt Russell who's got the flamethrower, mm-hmm. right? So if, if Keith David makes the wrong move, he'll he'll fry him. Um, or why not? You almost could. Fry, there's almost an argument to fry him anyway, just to be sure. Well, that's what I'm saying because if it freezes, it's I believe it can survive. That's the little point. It's kind of thawed out, right? So it can survive being frozen, and you don't want that. And you're also making assumptions about it in terms of like, well, how do I know it can't like transform into a bird and just fly away when it's done? You know. You know, it really should have thought of that. But maybe it never saw a bird, so it couldn't replicate a bird. Yeah. we're Again, we're left kind of wondering. And we know that it when you say it replicates their memories, it does mimic this person and their behavior to a degree. Right. You never see them, like, quiz someone and, like, you know, let no. them, hey, you know, but that's course, not. The famous, the famous you know, scene, which I, I guess is also in the book. Yes. Um, but the famous scene where they're trying to determine, you know, who's who's infected, you know, they have samples of the blood of everyone's blood. What they learn is that any any piece of the thing is going to react. So they get people's blood in these little Petri dishes, and they have a hot wire 
that they that they you know they hold under a blowtorch and then they put in the blood and uh, you know assuming that if you burn the the thing's blood that blood's going to react like it's being burned and that that's a famous scene from the movie where they're trying to test everyone's blood to see which one's going to going to react and it works the, and it, it works yeah, it works perfectly they you know I think they out what two or three people doing that as things uh, I can't I I I just remember one of them kind of like attacking before they get before it gets out yeah i'd forgotten about i went and rewatched the movie this weekend and like yeah there's that famous so it works the blood freaks out the the person who has now been outed so basically the thing goes they flame like, it they, right? they just, yeah they flame it while it's trying to transform and then they go back to it it's like okay we got to keep going we got to keep going through everybody and i'd forgotten that like in my head it was like that the the thing freaking out and then you know exposing itself <laughs> Yeah, or whatever. Right, it just led to more like violence and chaos. But it does like they manage to like they kill it that that you know copy of it, and then they go right back to it. Um, I, well, do you? I, I offhand, I, this, I, I'm putting you on the spot, and mm-hmm. I feel like you probably don't have the answer to this unless you were prepared for this. But do you know who did the effects on this movie? I Should we uh, I looked it up, and now I've forgotten. I bet you know the answer to that. No. Uh, no, I. Don't. Oh, uh, you said that like you knew. Um, it was it was a name uh, too. It was um, gosh, I think it was someone who was like. It wasn't Stan Winston, was it? Uh, no, yes, it was. That's it. It was Stan Winston. It was like it that, was. Yeah, it was Stan Winston. Yeah. Wow, that was just a guess on my part. I got my geek bona fides. Yes, you were correct. It was uh, Stan Winston, uh, master of special effects, known Damn, for son, working no, on everything. No studying. Yeah, he no studying. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure we'll encounter Stan. I know I'm giving you incredible credit. That was awesome. He was doing all, he was doing all the cool stuff back then. I think he worked on, uh, he didn't work on alien. He worked on aliens. Um, yeah. Yeah. If it's a cool, like practical effect from Congo, all the Congo shit. Wait till we get to the episode on, uh, evil gorillas. (laughs) Let's spend some time on Congo. Um, so, uh, so anyway, yes, that, uh, that really gives you the basic plot of, of the movie. Um, and I, I'll note, Doug, there was actually a, a video game that came out that was a, a, oh, a yeah. non-canon sequel to the thing. I forgot. But You're right. Now this... We don't need to talk about that. I don't think no. anyone really played it. It was like on PlayStation 2 or something. Hmm. But, um, I, you know, it's funny. We asked last time why Dracula is so ever-present and why he endures in our consciousness – but I almost would argue why the opposite for the thing. Why do you not see thing stories more often? Yeah, I, you know? I think you don't see this particular thing in like uh, you know a franchise. But as you said, this is this owes so much to H.P. Lovecraft, and there is. Um, and when we say that, I mean we're talking like sort of. Uh, the merging of bodies and tentacles. And well, things like yeah, that. Lovecraft's monsters uh, as a horror writer are notable for their in, their incomprehensibility. Like they are scary. Right, they because, sort of defy easy description. Well, yeah, which is nice as an author because you just say this thing is indescribable. <laughs> um, but <laughs> and everyone just imagines like the you know the the third grade teacher that was abusive to them or whatever. Whatever scares. Well, them. yeah, he does talk <laughs> about like the, so this this particular story owes a lot to a Lovecraft story, and I, we can probably do a whole episode on Lovecraft himself at some point. But it owes a lot to uh, a story called uh, "At the Mountains of Madness." Which is about an... Uh, that's like arguably his most famous story. Up, it's it? up there with like Shadow Over Innsmouth and Call of Cthulhu, yeah. And, and it's one of those ones that they that they always want to adapt but never seem to be able to. Yeah. In fact, there's a, a very good uh, podcast that uh, I, a guy I'm friendly with does called Unfilmable. 
which is uh, uh, where they review adaptations of Lovecraft works. Um, but uh, highly recommended. Anyway, um, the uh, this basic story beats of the Mountains of Madness is an it's an expedition to Antarctica. Um, where eventually they uncover an ancient civilization and these cosmic horrors behind it. Um, and his monsters are always like horrors, horrors, yeah, not talking about space sex workers here. Yeah, they are. (laughs) What makes them scary is that they are, uh, this will kind of lead into something I want to do next, but like they, they're they're impossible to ascribe motive to because their motives are so beyond ours that we, you know, it's the kind of way like ants would look yeah. at a person and not understand their motives. This is a completely That's alien Lovecraftian thing. trope is that their, that their behavior is beyond our reason. Yeah. They don't, we're, we're so insignificant, right? They almost don't map onto what you would call evil because they're just, they're so doing their own thing that any harm they cause to humans is almost you know the collateral damage that they're barely aware of um but they are but the things one of the monsters that you encounter in that story is called a shoggoth which is described as like you know picture like a pile uh, almost of writhing you know mouths and eyes and tentacles just sort of popping in and out of existence almost like again hard hard to describe and hard to imagine but when you look at the thing transforming you can sort of very much get that like there's like you know it looks like a dog up, yeah, a lot of mouths a lot of eyes and like just orifices that you know don't map onto anything you recognize you know there's just like eyes and teeth yeah and, like, it's there's, horrifying there's a couple of really and it's great because it's 1982 so all this stuff is not I'm cg sure <laughs> yeah with the 2011 movie i'm sure they did a lot of they i'm sure they tried to emulate it but they were to save money i'm sure we're doing a cg uh but this is all done practically and there's just so many really gross and evocative moments in this movie. I and it's so there's, wet. There's one guy, they're, they're, they're doing the paddles, you know, they're defibrillating somebody and then, and then the chest, <laughs> the chest opens up and the hands go in and then it, like teeth on, in this ca- chest cavity come down and tear the guy's hands off. That was trying to defibrillate him. Yeah. It's and, amazing. Um, that's, that's, that's an amazing moment. And by the way, I, I remember watching some sort of, uh, behind the scenes on that, you know, they, they, this is how, uh, old school they had to go. I know how they did it, but yeah, tell and say it. It's awesome. Yeah, they had to use an amputee for that shot who had fake uh, hands put on so that they could get torn off. I mean, like, just all these cool old school tricks. That's one. And then I remember someone's head. Is it Wilford? I'm not sure if it's Wilford Brimley's head or not. It's somebody's head, like, gets spiderified, decapitated or whatever. And then legs pop out and it becomes like a decapitated head spider for a moment. And I think eyes pop out of, like, the neck hole. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, they go... They go to 11 on this. And I was starting to think about that, too, and go, like, you know, does this movie work? Because that was one of the reasons it was not as uh, – people didn't um, react well to it at the really, beginning. really, really, really gross. Yeah, it's it's super gross. And at first I'm, I can see someone reacting to this and going, well, this is gross for gross's sake. And I thought, well, is this necessary to the story? Like you could certainly tell the story about a shapeshifter without this level of gore. But I don't know that it works as well because of that Lovecraftian element of like it it makes the thing extremely alien and it makes the threat that it poses much more visceral than if it was just kind of regular hacking and slashing. Can you do this movie without that? You can. You get alien. 
You know what I mean? You can you can do it without that. I mean, that movie uh, has you, you get much less of a glimpse of what you're dealing with, you know. Um, but that's a different that's a different vibe. Yeah. Well, uh, one thing I wanted to do is like a little say. I thought we could do this from going forward in the podcast is to talk about the the uh, the subject here and categorize it. Uh, on the D and D scale, is it lawful evil, lawful neutral, or sorry, lawful evil, neutral evil, or chaotic evil? Um, do you know about this okay, classification okay. system? Uh, I I do, but I think you should always assume that whoever's listening doesn't know. Yeah. Shit. So this is some, so. this is something. This is <laughs> this ahead. is an element of Dungeons and Dragons where every yeah. character that you encounter can be. Um, categorized in terms of their alignment, meaning are they good, neutral, or evil, or are and are they lawful, neutral, or evil? And what that means is, so for example, a lawful evil villain works kind of with Dracula. Be lawful evil in your mind? I don't. Th- he's closer to that, um, but I would put him actually more in the chaotic side. A good example of a lawful evil villain is Darth Vader. Because someone like Darth Vader, he doesn't buck the system. He is the system. He is the system. Right. He is working within the rules of the Empire. To, so like when he blows up an entire planet, it's not for the fun of blowing up a planet. He is actually trying to, um, you know, basically win a political move. Um, okay. And so the new, neutral evil would be someone who's more or less just out for themselves and doesn't mind hurting other people. Correct. Um, a good example of someone like this. Uh, actually, it might be easier to describe by going to the full chaotic evil. And, and, and a good example of this is someone like the Joker, who... He's the, he's the most chaotic evil you can come up. With. I don't know if he's the most chaotic, but he is a good example because I think he is, so. he is he's always he always comes up as the example. Yeah, he is because for him evil is the end goal. The the he right. is you know, these characters are usually just in love with evil itself and are looking to harm others. Um, you know, Freddy Krueger. You know, someone like that who's like the the goal is just pain. Um, and it's and not to bring order to the galaxy. It's not to bring order to the galaxy. It's not self even self-aggrandizement, like they're not trying to get rich, for example, or like, you know, gain right. power or station. Yeah, neutral neutral evil to me would be like like a kidnapper or something, right? Somebody who's who's doing wrong, they're not part of the system, but their their goal is is not necessarily to do evil, they'll just do evil to achieve their goal. Yeah, they're very self-interested. Like Bond villains are often, it would be something like neutral evil, usually. Right. Most of the time. Okay. Um, so the well, thing... The thing- yeah, yeah. I would well. Tell me what well, you think. Motives. Well, we're saying we're already. It's motives are already kind of hard to pin down. It is doing its own thing, so to speak. Yeah, I looked at it as I, I think he. The thing is more of a neutral evil. Um, I don't know that it is wreaking havoc for the sake of causing havoc because we have to assume it's intelligent. Um, because if it's able to mimic human thought patterns, it's at least as intelligent as we are. And it is some sort of space faring entity. We don't know. Um, well, how yeah, good a, it you is. bring up an interesting point because it's like, is that ship its ship? Is a good question. Probably not. Yeah. yeah. It's, I never even honestly thought of that until now, but it makes much more sense that it would have taken over another alien and that was its spacecraft. Right. But it would still know. In fact, that may have been the thing that caused the crash. Right. We do see the crash of the spaceship at the beginning of the movie, which I'm. I, yeah. I think they could have cut that, but um, I, <laughs> okay. you know, I just think it's 
uh, you know, you you figure that out from seeing a crashed spaceship later. We did, you know, I think maybe my problem with it is that spaceship is very like 1950s flying saucer, which sort of yeah, doesn't yeah, match. Well, again, a- aesthetically, it sort of it doesn't make a ton of sense until you accept that that was not its spacecraft. That's true. Um, but we have to assume it's at least as intelligent as a human being. In fact, like I, I kind of thought like there's like a weird mirror version of this movie where like from the thing's point of view, it's John McClane. Like it's just it's like trapped in this place. It's got to pick these people off one by one because all it wants to do is get the hell out of there. It'll be great. He laughs. Yeah, it just it just it's just trying to reconnect with its divorced thing wife. Yeah, I mean. I, so I would think it's more of a selfish, self-interested entity. Like it's, mo- I assume that killing the people at this research station is really just a means to an end in terms of you know self-preservation. Oh, no, I think you're right. This is uh, this is a pretty easy question. It's clearly neutral evil. Yeah. I mean, God, you can almost argue it's neutral, neutral. Like you're saying, it's like true neutral in the sense that like it's not. I mean, from its point of view, anyway. You know, yeah, it definitely. From our point of view, evil gets killing people. But from its point of view, yeah, it's just trying to survive. But it could also just as easily like make it in the big city. It, it could, but it also could have easily if it if it wanted help, it didn't have to murder anybody. You know, it could just say like, "Hey, you know, thanks for waking me up." Yeah, it could have just know. it could have just been like, "Don't be alarmed." I know I look like a pile of mouths, <laughs> <laughs> but I come in peace. But I'm your friend. Yeah, I'm cool. Um, I this is sort of a weird thing to jump to the protagonist, but you look at we talked about the ending a little bit, and the character introduction to McReady, uh, Kurt Russell's character, is one of the most awesome introductions I've ever seen. When you know the ending to the movie, so when we first meet him, he is playing a game of chess against a computer. And the computer, very old school green, yeah, nineteen eighty two ass computer. Um, and the computer checkmates him. And his McCready's move after that is to pour a glass of liquor into the computer and just destroy it and say "f it." And that's exactly the end of this movie. I believe he says, and it's a little problematic by twenty twenty standards, mm-hmm. but I believe he says, "cheating bitch." Yes. <laughs> But like that's exactly the end of this movie. Like the the thing has won in every respect, and but it, it, Kurt Russell has one last move, which is I'll just burn the whole thing down, and we both lose. You know, mm. you, know. you know what? I never made that connection, but that's fantastic. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's such a uh, quick character introduction, um, but it's very uh, economical in that way. It teaches you something that will come back, whether you realize it or not. And uh, gives you everything you need to know about him. That's I don't honestly. I feel like character introductions is a lost art. It's tough. Like like you want to be able to have a character walk on the screen and within like a line or two, or an action or two, the audience is like, I know that guy. I know you know. I know what his deal is. But I mean, I can tell you, like time and time again, I'm watching stuff and I and I'm not invested because they just didn't bother to do that simple thing. Yeah, you, you know, need that. Let me know their deal. What's their worldview? You know, who are they? And then yeah. after that, everything is like, oh, that's so that guy. You know, it, yeah, it know. fits. It's that guy doing that thing he does. Right. That's <laughs> that's so McCready. That's so McCready. Um, getting back to the thing, like when we talked about Dracula, and I think we should keep on this, which is like, what are the things that make it enduring? And you talked about um, the paranoia, which I think is the- Or at least if not enduring, you know- What makes it resonate? Right. Yeah, why, yeah, and and you were saying like maybe maybe they haven't done you know licensed thing movies and books, like that, but but this kind of creature does come back time and time again. This idea of of you know infection and who's infected. I mean, zombie 
zombie movies play with this a little bit, at least at a certain point in their stories. You know, someone's bitten. You know, and they're hiding it. Well, you, you but, I thought uh, of two examples. Yeah. You, you mentioned one already, which is Invasion of the Body Snatchers and its incarnations. Right. The other one I thought of was the Battlestar Galactica reboot, which traffics in the Cylons. They look like us, right? It traffics is exactly it. Is our enemies look exactly like us? How can I tell who to trust? And right. that is, I think, a super fundamental human fear. Like you talk, have you ever heard of a phenomenon called, par- I think it's pronounced pareidolia or pareidolia? Pareidolia. <laughs> nope. Is that when you want to have sex with umbrellas? Uh, yes, but it has two definitions. <laughs> so, yeah. okay. what's, the, what's the primary, the primary definition? definition? So this is um, human beings are like, we are just deep within our DNA coded to map the faces of other humans uh to read them and that so the pareidolia is the phenomenon of seeing faces where there aren't actually there like you look at like an inanimate object and see a face in it like right. a cloud or, or a pile of leaves right. two dots and a line is a face right it, it doesn't take much to trigger this and it's because like it, this goes back to the earliest age of human evolution it's when you see another human we express so much of what we think through our faces that the better you are at reading that, the better you are at understanding, you know, the trustworthiness and the motivations of the person you're interacting with. Cause you know, very few animals are capable of deception. We're one of them. So you can imagine being, you know, a, a very early hominid uh, and having an advantage because you're able to no, know, please, there's no, there's no need to use. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. I don't care who listens. <laughs> um, damn you, Australopithecines. Um, so yeah, like that's a super useful skill. Um, and again, it, it goes right into that deep seated paranoia. Can I trust the person I'm talking to? And this goes one layer beyond, which is like, what if the person I think I'm talking to isn't even that person at all? Classic problem. What if I'm talking to a tentacle monster and I don't know it? Exactly. That's such a primitive, primal fear. We all suspect that we're surrounded by tentacle creatures. Um, yeah, well, no, I think you're right. I think that gets to something. Anything that, look, anything that speaks to something that's like below, you know, get when you get into lizard brain territory is going to be resonant. Um, so, yes, you know, and, and, and the enemy from within, you know, that's always, that's always something we think about. I mean, even in our modern climate, you know, we arguably in this country, we have a lot of people looking at their neighbors and saying like, oh, I thought I knew you, you know, I thought I knew what you were about, but I didn't. And, uh, yeah, and that's, that's resonant. And I think it re- it's interesting to see like when, you know, the original book came out, it's 1938 and you're dealing with that problem. Fascism is on the rise. Fascism is on the rise. You get ni- the 1951 version at the height of the Cold War and not far off. From, I forget when it came out, but Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the the original one with um, Kevin McCarthy, uh, not the douchebag from the House of Representatives currently, but the actor who I best knew as a kid from UHF. Um, <laughs> this town means as much to me as a festering bowl of dogs. <laughs> Take that ridiculous thing off. Um, so that guy, um, so that you get the, the cold war version of it. And then you get the 1980s version, which is, you know, at a resurgence of the cold war. Um, I, I there, there, I think there is a tendency to keep. And then you get the, uh, 2011 prequel at the height of soulless corporate, 
uh, strip mining of intellectual property. A little, so a little bit. Little. <laughs> but, well, that one doesn't quite map up. That is definitely soulless. But you do get Battlestar Galactica not that long after 9-11. Like, there is definitely an appetite. Right. You know, when when national conflict is kind of rearing its head, uh, you know, more prominently than usual, there's definitely, there seems to be a tendency to go revisit this concept of, like, can I trust my neighbors? Um, you know, are, who are they really? Um and I think that that is one like tent pole that keeps this thing up. The other one I think is the body horror because that just plays to our basic fears of mortality and you know the fact that we are these meat sacks that are quite vulnerable, you know, at our core. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, are there any other ideas? Let me like, ask you really pieces? quickly. I you know you, you we've alluded to it. Do you remember how the 1951? thing from another world differs i mean is it just completely different yeah it's not a shapeshifter um it's, well that's pretty different it's pretty different it's a lumbering like humanoid alien um well that that sounds like it doesn't have anything to do with the source material. not much i'd like to other than it's an alien you know set loose in an antarctic research station um it, it that's I feel like not in much. the 50s it was like yeah 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 it's a good story but like what if it was a guy in a suit yes you know <laughs> i got an idea which is one? I got, I got a bunch of suits here on the back lot. We just pick one, and that's it. That's what the monster is. Yeah, th- which is one step removed from the other plot idea they always had back then, which was a girl. That's the other one. They, <laughs> I, uh, the girl from another world. Man, that would a that would a a girl reporter. <laughs> A girl doctor, like it's every. So this movie. alien, it comes to Earth, see, and it and it, and it wants to be paid the same as a man, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not menstruating everywhere. Um, yeah, I I just really like it, it's such an interesting contrast to something like Dracula. Like Dracula is such a, it's very iconic on site, um, and it's there's something sort of I won't say innocent about Dracula, but there's something kind of you can make him cute. You know, as we were just talking about with Count Chocula, like the thing is like all the way as far as you can go at the other end of the spectrum. Like it is viscerally nasty. Uh, Doug, Doug, can you can you stop for one second? Yeah, I'm losing I'm losing you for a second. Oh, no. Uh, and you can edit this out or you can keep it in because mm-hmm. it's just legit. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're kind of going in and out on me. here. Oh, for dear. A sec, so I just kind of see if there's anything I can do about that. Hmm. Uh all right, maybe it's better now. Maybe we just needed to get through that. Okay, can you hear me? Uh, I'm sorry. Say it again. Yeah, just saying that. Like, th- so we have Dracula on one end of the spectrum, and not the uh, in terms of like horror. And this thing, the thing is, like, there are no like warm tones to the thing. It's all visceral. It's all just nasty. It's violent, and it's you know, um, it's subversive. You know, it 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 pretends to be your friends and betrays you. Um, there, there is just no uh, cute side to this at all. It's like absolutely like as black as black can be. Um, and I think that makes it, like I said, that makes it work. Like if it fits the very like cold setting to have such a, like just a cruelly calculating and vicious uh, enemy. Um, I'm curious. What? I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Uh, 
Uh, oh, so one thing we did. Uh, one thing we did last well time. Said, well said. Uh, one thing we did uh, last time that that was kind of fun was we talked about like if you could cast anyone as Dracula, who would you cast? The thing is a little trickier to to do that oh, with. Thing. Who would I cast as the you, thing? Which we obviously you can't. But like, who's in your station? Of, no, I would. I, I would. would I cast, would cast Russell Crowe <laughs> as the thing. Doug, there. Perfect, perfect cast. Oh, I I would have gone with someone who does a lot of impressions. Uh, Let's see. I, no, I was thinking of who. Yeah, I cast Michael Winslow as. <laughs> did you hear a? Did you hear a streetlight? You hear a traffic car? What the fuck? Those aren't words. What's happening to me? Um, street car traffic. Uh, are you the thing? I, or have you been thinking? I might have been. Th- I might have thinged myself there. Just, you just, I just gave. I, I got word saladed. Um, I you got fanged. I like that. It's sort of like. That you never see its true form. I do feel like a lesser movie would have been like, okay, we. But at the end of the movie, we gotta, you know, it's we gotta see what it really. Yeah, that really you sounds know, like maybe like a mid-credit sequence. Pull the, off you know, the mask. Like, yeah. <laughs> it is described in the book as like I think having being some sort of mo- like not humanoid but semi you know uh, humanoid in shape and having three eyes. Um, like when that's what the picture on the cover of the book is sort of like mm-hmm. that. Um, and there was, I saw a creature that was made for the movie and then not used. I don't know if it was made for the 82 or the 2011 that is possibly meant to be what it, it's natural form. Um, but I'm very glad they didn't do that because again, it just takes away from that, the fear of the unknown. Nah, I, you know, I like the idea that it doesn't even know what its natural form is anymore. You know, it's been just hopping around for so long. Does it even have a natural form, you know? Why does yeah. it need one? So it's the ultimate fluid identity. It's <laughs> it's fluid. It's always it's always changing. It doesn't know what its pronouns pronouns are from moment to moment. <laughs> and I'm sure that as we go through the if we, it's very woke. It's very woke. It it's a woke. It's super woke. It's a woke I'm surprised the thing isn't like a woke icon. <laughs> I I was trying to think about like you know, if they were to go back to this property and not do some half-assed um, prequel, if you were to do a sequel to it, how it like? Tim, I was thinking like a half-assed sequel. Yeah, half-assed sequel. Like the first thing that occurred to me was like, well, you would do Predator, but it would be you know you would go from he's you know by himself in the jungle, he's in the big city, right? He goes to you know he's in an urban Usually environment. They just add like an S. It's just be like the, the things. You could do that. I guess it's already like multiple <laughs> things. Um, yeah, but I know what you mean. Like, like you, how you, could you iterate? Well, you do all the things that would probably ruin it. You take mm-hmm. it into a more populated area and add more of them, and it would be bigger, but it wouldn't be better. Yeah, I don't know. You know how it would become unmanageable at that point because I mean they're already telling you like this thing would replicate out of control, and that would be it. Like there'd be no. So all you can do is like come up with another isolated setting for it to run loose, and like it's it's sort of sequel proof in that way. Like it just this is it. This is it is a singular story. I, I I'm really surprised that I guess we did get that prequel, but I'm really surprised they haven't tried to do a remake yet. Um, maybe that prequel sort of staved it off. I, I don't even know how well it did. I feel like it maybe didn't do that. Quickly. I don't think it did. I don't think it reviewed that well either. Although neither did the original, but. Still, the original is, and to call it the original is weird too, because I guess it's not that either. But the Carpenter one, it, it really is a a singular piece of media. Like there, there, it is a one of a kind story that is totally self contained. It's got a perfect beginning, it middle, and end. Almost feels like VHS is the is the most appropriate way to ingest it. <laughs> <laughs> almost, yeah. Like it, it's just sort of 
it, it exists as a an artifact in cinema. Well, look, we you know we. I'm just going to sound more and more like an old man uh, if I can after making my woke jokes, but like (laughs) woke jokes. Um, But, you know, we just don't get those anymore. We just don't get movies that are like self-contained stories like that. It's always franchise tent poles and all these, you know, things. And, and, you know, yeah, it is an artifact in that way. It's a self-contained, very self-contained story, self-contained setting. So I mean, limited I mean, it's it like all of these sort of paranoia-based stories. You could, I'm surprised. I'm sure someone has tried to do like a stage version of it. You know, you you could do it. Aside from all the effects, you know what mm-hmm. I mean. It is kind of claustrophobic and everything. You and limited cast. You could do that. Yeah, I think that's about all you can do is try to remake it. Although I don't know how you could better um, the 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 '82 version of it. Well, you wouldn't. You would just be like, but I get the money this time. <laughs> That's pretty much like, which is interesting, again, as a contrast to Dracula, which has been done a thousand times, right? And that character keeps living on in different versions because people want to keep reinterpreting that character. And and this is all, it's like immune to that. Well, I think because it's, it's of its setting, it's sort of, um, it's almost periodless. You know what I mean? You, you, they're in this research station. Well, I know that maybe they'd have a little bit more advanced technology now. They'd still be remote. They'd still be cut off. Um, it, it wouldn't be hard to write that in. You wouldn't and be hard to write the thing so, killing their communications equipment either. And then you're right, right back so to here. The story wouldn't change dramatically if you did it now. And I think that's it. I think the story would be would play out very similarly. And so there's really no need. Um, and it would still be as resonant thematically. Yeah, and I th- it's interesting that this the uh, the movie has had kind of the legs that it has had, where it had a real redemption later on as people sort of discovered it and realized no, like once you kind of you know are able to tolerate the gore of it, um, y- there is a really remarkable story um, that, that is kind of a nice little piece of clockwork simple storytelling. Oh, you know, it's great. Guys like Carpenter or like Paul Verhoeven, you know, they do these movies that seem schlocky. And then you look at them a little more closely and you go like, wow, this is actually very well crafted. Well, to the point I've noticed like the thing posters popping up in other thing, uh, other, uh, you know, works, at, whether it's movies or TV shows and stuff. The, if they want to kind of say something about the character, they'll say, oh, this guy's got a poster of the thing. And that shows that he's kind of like he's plugged in. He's cool. Right. He's like he's in the know. He is in the know. Well, it's, in, you know, maybe it's worth talking about. um uh, movies or, or TV series that owe uh, a debt, uh, kind of an obvious debt to the thing. Mm-hmm. I think I'm sure Stranger Things certainly in the, in the title. Well, no, but uh, I mean Stranger uh, Things definitely. Season three, if you later. saw it, is very yeah, explicitly it, that. You know, there's a lot of that right. in, in there. And I think actually, uh, uh, I think the thing actually is. I think there might be a thing poster in season one. I bet there's a th- <laughs> there might be a thing poster like in every time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it is. Yeah, it's in season one. It's in. Uh, um, uh, the main character's basement. Uh, I'm blanking yeah. on his name, no. but. but that kid should not be seeing that movie. No, That's horrible parenting. Yeah. Um, so definitely Stranger Things. Uh, uh, you know, there was uh, this really crappy knockoff that I feel like was it was stealing from Alien, and it was also stealing from The Thing. Starred Peter Weller. Do you ever see Leviathan? No, um, but that's also is that also a Carpenter story, a Carpenter movie, or my no, wrong? it's not. Okay. I don't know who did it, but it wasn't John Carpenter. But it's definitely it definitely wants to be. It's basically all this, but like in an underwater station with a fish monster. Oh. But it's it's very similarly kind of like 
icky and a little par- I think I think it infects people so you got some paranoia and uh, and so it's like it, it you know it influenced that for sure but that was a very that's a good example of something that when you look at it actually does not have a stronger deeper uh, meaning or subtext it's all it's all what you see it's all schlock yeah or you get like uh, um, Leviathan. slither you know that's another one that's slither slither's great slither's that's james gunn yeah that's, that's a really that's more on the comedic side but it you know there's it's still it's pretty great gross. it's a great it's a great one yeah yeah it definitely owes a debt to the the thing yeah there's definitely some like people getting infected and and some bloating sliminess that's very uh very evocative of the thing uh, those jump to me, jump out at me right away. I don't know if there's anything else I can think of. Not, not off the top of my head, but I mean, it, it is. I mean, there's no question that this thing, the the movie was very influential in the long run, um, both for its, you know, the the graphic horror elements, but also for the, I think the almost Hitchcockian way it tells its story. That you know, we we as the audience are constantly having to to guess just as McCready is, you know, who is, who can be trusted and who can't. Um, and smartly, they never like put a, there's no like tell, you know, I, I could see a lesser movie doing that too. where like, Oh, you know, there's a little glint in the character's eyes that the, the audience can see, but the characters are not wise to. No, you know, like, no. And you know, I, this was related to me once and I, I can't quite remember the sort of the difference between like, you know, a suspense or a mystery or there are these different story structures. And, and there's one where you know as much as the characters know, you know, and that's this movie. You know what they know. You don't know more than what they know. Right. Um, and, and you don't know less than what they know. You know exactly what they know. Yep. So you're in it with them. I think, I think we've covered the thing. I think we did it. Uh, we we done it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. You do. There's no. Is there any other angle you wanted, Doug, or do you feel? No, like I, I, I think we we've adequately done the thing. Uh, it's due. Um, I feel like we need like a. We can call this myth busted. <laughs> 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 we need our version. Of that. Yeah, uh, I think last time we ended with the uh, the Simpsons uh, gentleman to evil, um, but I don't know if that really works. Um, but uh, we, uh, I, who, hey Doug, who would you just to, just to pad oh. it here? Uh, who who do you think would win in a fight between Dracula and the thing? oh the thing? Uh, I, I, oh, really? Does that that fast? Uh, yeah, I, I have a hard time. All right, well, let's just slow, let's slow down for a second. We're talking supernatural powers versus. Alien, so that's already you know an interesting matchup. I feel like the the thing would have a good chance of sneaking up on Dracula. Um, the only, I guess, the only advantage Dracula, Dracula has Dracula have some kind of like heightened senses or something. Like the, yeah, kind of help him out? the the other thing he has in his defenses, I think, is that there are very limited ways in which he can be killed. So I right. I don't know if the thing will be able. to... I guess the thing might be able to incapacitate Dracula to the point where you know he's in sunlight and that would kill him. Um, or you know, just by sheer sheer force. The thing can't replicate. It's not like it's not like the T one thousand or whatever, where it can just like replicate other things, like like a wooden stake. Biological. It can't. Yeah, it can't just turn itself into like wooden stake hands and then like stake. And it probably wouldn't know what to do. Like it wouldn't. It wouldn't be familiar with Dracula. It wouldn't have no chance of knowing those rules. So maybe you're right. Maybe. Well, what it would do. All right. Like I like. Yeah. Let's not blow past this, Doug, because this is a really good idea. All right. A really good question. Okay. And, and, and it needs like fifty-two minutes. And it in. needs to be answered. Uh, 
it needs to be answered. And I honestly love the idea of like just doing a match, like the previous uh, bad guy versus the current bad guy. I love it. All right, awesome. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's going to be real interesting Write for when that we get down because mm-hmm. it's a genius idea. It's going to be real interesting when we get to our I next think episode. If I was the thing. Sorry. Well, we we picked out our next episode, and I don't think that's much of a fair fight for. Uh, well, we'll figure. We'll, yeah. we'll figure. All right. Anyway, but if I was the thing, what I, what I would do? This way, strat. We got to talk strat. Mm-hmm. If I was the thing, I mean, I would take over like Van Helsing, mm-hmm. right? And then I would learn Ooh. everything I needed to know about taking out Dracula, and that's going to give me the edge right there. I've got all the knowledge I need. That's pretty and, good. You know. Yeah, and then and then and then I can just now the question, of course, becomes. Dracula, with his sort of extrasensory powers, can he sense when someone's not on the level, or would he not know? You know what I mean? And would it matter? I mean, again, the question is: Can the thing actually do physical harm to? Can he assimilate Dracula and replicate him? Well, wait, well, it would matter if it could sneak up on him. That's true too. But I'm saying, remember, we talked about like with Dracula, like if you tried to like chop his head off with an axe, like the axe would just go th- like phase through his neck. Yeah, because it's not but, an, an, an approved. I become Renfield. Mm-hmm. I. I you know, stick a stake in my pants and then yeah, first chance I get. Maybe you're yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Advantage thing. Not that it, but I will say this. That's definitely not the thing's style. <laughs> no. <laughs> what I just described is very much not its style. So that might be cheating. Yeah. That like might be there are give, giving it an approach that it would not do. Like there's a lot, of, there's a fair number of guns in that Antarctic research station. Why? I don't know. Yeah. It never, it never shoots it. It, it never just <laughs> takes the gun and like shoots the humans. It's like, fuck it. I'll just send tentacles at them. And yeah, to be fair, it. that would be pretty lame. You're yeah. right. So maybe, maybe not. Maybe it would just try to like, you know, throw a Wolf or Brimley spider head at it mm-hmm. at Dracula, uh, at which point he would just, you know, turn into a bat and it'd be a stalemate. <laughs> And then, as we know from this movie, I mean, how does Dracula take care of the thing? I mean, we, you know, I can the, flip that question and say, what is he going to do? You well, know? the thing seems to only be vulnerable to fire. That's the only thing we ever see work on it. And Dracula doesn't truck in fire very much. He's going to usually avoiding. No, in fact, it. I think in some incarnations we've said fire is actually dangerous to Dracula. Yeah, um, potentially. So yeah, he's not. Yeah, I think you know what. Here's what's going to happen. It's going to be really anticlimactic. They're going to run into each other. They're going to realize that they have no reason to fight, and then they're just going to go their separate ways. <laughs> or they're going to realize they have a lot in common and team up. Yeah, that's it. They, they join the our Legion of Doom. So I can't wait. I can't wait for that. The 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 podcast, but evil verse. The podcast, but evil verse. All right. Well, I will start keeping a, a running score here of, of who wins and who loses. Although I guess next time it'll be. All right. So what, well, are we gonna? Well, I, we, so let's 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 give it to one of them then. Okay. Uh, I think I think the I, I advantage. Feel like I got it. I feel like I'm going to give it to you. Said you said the thing. My instinct. Yeah, my right? instinct was the thing is going to take this one. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a fight, but I think the thing's going to do it. Okay, I do because only only because I can come up with ways for it to kill Dracula, and I can't really come up with a way. I mean, what's it, Dracula can't bite it, right? <laughs> you know, and if he tries to use his like superhuman Dracula strength on it, that's not going to do anything. Yeah, so I think Dracula doesn't have anything. He's got nothing. He's got no def- no offenses anyway. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, so that so we declare the thing the winner, and we'll see who wins between the thing and our uh, our group. We're actually doing a multiple. Uh, I don't. I, I. You know, not to not to uh, show Discord here. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure we've settled. We've oh. talked about ideas, but but I don't. I don't. Okay. Know. We'll tell you what. We'll we'll keep that one shrouded in you're mystery. Like, you're like Mike Pompeo, thinking that we weren't going to talk about Ukraine. <laughs> well, I never said. We <laughs> well, I'm going to do a number on you. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm surprised. I'm, I'm surprised Trump. This, by the way, this will be old news by the time this comes out. But you know, this was Trey. Yeah, yeah. You really did a number on her. I honestly surprised Trump didn't say like, yeah, a number two. You know, <laughs> God. No, he would, and then he'd high five himself like on Twitter style. for saying it. Sorry, he'd, he'd do it, and then he'd say that, and then he'd high five himself on Twitter for having said it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really funny when I said that thing. Yep. Uh, I don't, you know, we'll, have, we'll obviously, we're going to wait until um, uh, election season, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, I hope, I hope we eventually tackle Trump. Who would win in a fight between Trump and, Trump the, and the thing? Well, the thing would win, but Trump would never acknowledge it. He would, you know, he's, I, I did the best oh, against the thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, nobody survived longer than I did against the thing. I, I, you should have seen my blood test. I have the best blood. <laughs> this phony thing hoax. Thing, the thing hoax. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think the thing would become Trump, but then it would yeah. refuse to acknowledge the existence of the thing. I think the thing has better taste. Many people are saying mm. that I'm a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Some sort of incorporeal Not tentacle true. monster. Yeah. Anyway, I like the way I can pad. I can pad the crap out of this podcast. Oh, <laughs> we should probably call it because uh, I need to sleep uh, early. I've got nowhere else to go. <laughs> I've got nowhere. Else all right. To go. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, it's been fun. Yeah. Uh, well, and until we come up with a good sign-off, uh, gentlemen, too evil. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, we'll see you next time when we just do Doug's idea. I guess. <laughs> I'm keeping that in. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Good night. Hey everyone, hope you enjoyed episode two of Podcast But Evil. Just uh, one more quick note. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, you can just search for Podcast But Evil, but our official handle is at podcast underscore but awesome. Uh, find us there and send us your feedback. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, hopefully we'll hear you on the next one. Oh, and uh, also, if uh, you could give us a review on iTunes, uh all that like and subscribe jazz that's also really helpful at helping us uh, get the word out so uh hopefully we'll uh we'll see you write some nice things about us and we can read that on the air too all right take care